Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Let me kind of give you a heads up on how we're going to do this. Uh, I am going to finish the uh, message that we started last week. Uh, talking about self-righteousness. And to those of you watching online, this is the 1030 service. Thanks for joining us. It's great having you with us. Uh, We're going to wrap up this message on self-righteousness, but I'm going to do it in a different way. And basically, we're going to worship from beginning to end in the service. And so I'm going to share some scripture, and then we're going to respond via worship. Then I'm going to share some scripture, and then we're going to respond. Then I'm going to share some scripture. And it's just going to be a beautiful way to respond to God's word today. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to have you turn to every spot. I'm going to give you four different things that I believe we must do if we're going to kill the spirit of self-righteousness, if we're going to overcome self-righteousness. Here's the first one. We're going to have to reject its premise. The first thing we have to do if, if we're going to kill self-righteousness is we have to reject its premise. The premise of self-righteousness is it's all about me. But the premise of scriptural righteousness is it's all about Jesus. See, this is why self-righteousness and biblical righteousness are at odds with one another. Because one says it's all about me. The other says it's all about Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus, this is speaking to believers in Jesus, for our benefit, God made him, Jesus, to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. I didn't make myself right with God. Christ did that. Christ made us right with God. Christ made us pure and holy. Christ freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, If you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. I have nothing to brag about outside of Jesus. So why would I brag about anything I do? Why would I brag about any of my righteousness? We're going to see how silly it is in the second point. Self-righteousness talks like this. It says, I did this. I can do this. I got this. Real righteousness sounds like this. Jesus did this. I can't do this. God's got me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace. Not by your works. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We're going to sing this song, This is Amazing Grace. Isn't this grace amazing? Like, is that just a song we sing or do we actually believe it? It was by his grace that we were saved. We're saved by faith because of his grace. It was his grace that extended salvation to us. So as we sing this song, You can stand, you can stay in your seat, you can kneel. We're just going to sing out of our hearts. This is amazing grace. Let's worship together. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. 
flip over to Isaiah 64. We'll get there in a minute. If we're truly going to overcome and kill self-righteousness in our lives, the second thing we must do is we have to remember our rags. Let me personalize it. You, in order to kill self-righteousness, need to remember your rags. Now, some of you already know where I'm going in Scripture with Isaiah 64. You know what it says. But before we read it together, I want to try and illustrate what I believe God's heart behind Isaiah 64, verse 6 is. My oldest son, Tyler, is many me in every way. From the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he is, uh, in a lot of ways, like me. He's better than me, but we're a lot alike and one of the things I've learned watching him grow up over these last 14 years is he's, he's a fairly athletic kid. And when he tries something, he, he can kind of be good at it from the beginning. Maybe not great, but he, he's pretty good pretty quick at stuff. But I've learned something about Tyler, that he's adopted this line of thinking that goes like this. If I can't do something flawlessly, I'm not even going to try. He's adopted this mindset that perfection is actually attainable, which we know it's not. But I've watched him stop trying for several years to do a lot of things, and I know his why. One of the biggest reasons is he doesn't want to disappoint me. He's afraid if he falls short, he's going to disappoint me. I wonder how true that is of all of us as it relates to God. At times, we're afraid to walk by faith, to take a step of faith, because we're afraid if we fall short with that step that we're going to disappoint our Heavenly Father. Remember, God made sure to record this in the book of Romans. We all fall what? Short. Even on our best day, our best attempts, we still fall short of God's glorious, perfect standard. And when we read Isaiah 64, I want to connect it to you as though you and I were Tyler. 
Isaiah 64, verse six, we are all, everybody say all. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Now I've heard this taught several different ways over the years. One way is uh, I don't agree with, by the way, and that is that our righteous deeds are pointless. Okay, that, that's, we were set apart. We were created for good works. Okay, now what, what Isaiah 64, I can't get into heaven based on my good works. Now I'll be rewarded for what I do, but my reward isn't getting into heaven. That's what Isaiah 64, God is making sure we understand that if you take me or you on our best day, doing our best deeds, that compared to Christ's righteousness, my best righteousness is still comparably like filthy rags. Okay, so think about what God might be saying to each of us through this. And I'll just use Tyler. Hey, son. Hey, sweet daughter. I have already, this is God talking to you. I have already done something about your falling short, about everything you could do to fall short. I've done something. I have taken care of this problem. Now you go live by faith. You go walk by faith. You go try. You go live out life in me. There's a line in this next song. We're going to sing none but Jesus. And one of my favorite lines in this song is crucified to set me free. Now I live to bring him praise. Self-righteousness lives to bring me praise. But after salvation, because I've become the righteousness of God in Christ, now I live to bring him praise. We don't live to bring ourselves praise any longer. So why would we dwell on thinking about the things that might bring us a little bit of praise? God goes on record and says, Preston, hey, let's settle this so that it never comes between us. You on your best day, doing your best thing you think you can do, cannot get you into heaven forever. Only my son's righteousness can do that. Do you want in on that? Or do you want to try and live according to your way? No, God. I want to live according to Christ's righteousness. I want in on what he did, not what I might have to do. Because nothing I can do can win eternally the merit necessary to spend forever in heaven. Only Christ's righteousness can do that. And comparatively speaking, your righteousness and mine are just filthy rags compared to his. I want you just to close your eyes. And if there's that part of you that has a merit-based way of thinking, I want you just to topple that stronghold right now. And I want you to let your heart embrace the words of this song, the theology undergirding this song. It is none but Jesus. Let's sing it together.
Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read it together in a minute. The third thing we've got to do if we're going to overcome a spirit of self-righteousness, and this is my second favorite point. Point number four is my first most favorite point. Point number three, remember the romantic why behind, and I'm going to use a big theological phrase, imputed righteousness. Remember the romantic why behind imputed righteousness. Now, this word imputed comes from the word impute, which means to put into one's account. It's a banking term, all right? So let me illustrate this. Uh, If you went to the bank today, let's say they were open, and you had a check to deposit in, let's say, uh, for the sake of you really connecting with what I'm saying, the check was for $872,000, okay? In the last service, I could tell people started thinking about what they might do with $872,000. So stay with me on this, right? So you have a big amount of money. You go to the bank. You have a check for $872,000. What happens when you give the banker the check and your account number? What do they do with the check? They put into your account. So they take out of the check writer's account $872,000 and they put $872,000 into whose account? Yours, right? Okay, this is imputation, all right? To impute, to put into one's account. So theologically, what does that mean? That God takes Christ's righteousness and puts it into our account when we believe in Jesus. Can you even wrap your mind around how good that is? That's better than billions and trillions of dollars financially going into your account because you could spend all that. You will never be able to spend the goodness inserted into your account via the righteousness of God through Christ. Christ lived a perfect life, the spotless lamb. And when you believed in Jesus, God took the righteousness of his son and put it in your account. Do you know what that means? That means every time you walk into the bank, the church, the bankers look at you and go, there's the one with the biggest account in the bank. And let me remind you, it's not because of your righteousness. Not because of mine, because of Christ. Okay, now if I left it there, that would be awesome news, right? That God puts the righteousness of Christ in your account. That, that's really good news, right? It gets even better. Theologically, it's called double imputation. So what I've described is one-way imputation, okay? So from one account into the other. Here's the awesome thing theologically about imputation, that it's actually not one way, it's two-way. It's double imputation. Here's what that means. When at salvation, God took Christ's righteousness and put it into your account, you know what else he did? He took out of your account all of your debt, all of your unrighteousness, and put it into Christ's account on the cross that day. 
Think about this. When Jesus says, Father, why have you forsaken me? People ask about that all the time. Why would Jesus say something like that? He's the son of God. I'll tell you why. Because of my sin, God was treating Jesus on the cross that day the way I was to be treated as a result of my sin. Sin, remember this, separated man from God. Think about it. Go back to the garden, the original sin. What happened as a result? Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. Sin separated man from God until God did what he did through Christ Jesus on the cross that day. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, let's read it together. It gives you the romantic why behind double imputation. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself, brought back everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Here is the romantic why behind double imputation. That God could spend forever with you. Not just that you could spend forever with him. That he could spend forever with you. Let that just sink in for a moment. He is that obsessed with you. See, some would look at the garden and say, that was plan A. That wasn't ever plan A. Want to know why? Because that would have involved plan A coming down to what man can do. Plan A has a name, and it was always plan A, and plan A's name is Jesus. The God of the universe saw the separation between you and him. You want to know one of the, my favorite things that happened at the cross that day? is when Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil was torn in the Holy of Holies. The one place where the tangible presence of God rests at that time. And only one person, the high priest, could go into the tangible presence of God one day a year. One person, one day a year. That's depressing to me. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, the veil tore and God sent a message to all of the earth. I did something about this problem sin created. We can spend forever together. You just have to receive what my son just did for you. Okay, question. How does a heart respond to a father who goes to such great lengths to spend together forever? I'll tell you what one's heart should do. Run to the Father. And as we sing this song, I want you to let your heart do that because your Father is chasing after you right here, right now. And I want you to run in His direction. Let's sing this together with all of our hearts. Let's run to the Father. I've carried a burden for too long on I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all. 
go I see it now I'm laying it down And I know that I need you I've run to the Father I've fallen to grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart needs a surgeon My soul needs a friend So I run to the Father again And again and again and again Oh, oh, oh You saw my condition Your son for redemption The price for my heart And I don't have a context For that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend All I know is I a friend so I run to the Father again and again and again and again oh 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 again and again oh 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 my heart has been Long before my first breath Running into your arms Is running to life from death And I feel this rush deep in my chest Your mercy is calling out Just as I am, you pull me
to grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait And my heart found the surgeon My soul found the friend So I'll run to the Father again And again and again and again awesome father <laughs> I mean I could just I'm just grateful that I get to spend forever with him you know I don't know if you just ever get that thought and you just get undone but I, I, I ugly cry at the thought that he went to the lengths he did to be able to spend forever with me <laughs> and you and that brings us to the fourth thing and, and this really to me is the only real response to getting a revelation of what God has actually done for us through Christ. That's point number four. In order to kill a spirit of self-righteousness, we have to live at the foot of the cross. See, there are only two ways to live in this world as a believer. Either you live on the pedestal of your own self-righteousness, or you live on your knees at the foot of the cross as his righteousness. I don't know about you, if you've ever tried to stand on a tall pillar before, the taller it gets, the more wobbly it is. You ever realized that? So the taller the, the idol of my self-righteousness gets, the more wobbly I am. And I don't know if you know this, but self-righteousness was designed to be a wobbly pillar. So that when I wobble, I lean on him. Now, I want you to think about this. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read you one verse. I just want you to, to just think about this one thought. What would it change about your everyday life? and the way you walk out every day of your life. If every day was lived at the foot of the cross before Christ breathed his last breath, his eyes still wide open, you on bended knee at the base, the foot of the cross, close enough for the blood to fall on the top of your head. Do you think we would all live a little bit differently at the foot of the cross? I think we might. I'll give you an example. This is just an example that I'm seeing happen a lot right now. And it's not just towards me, it's, it's any church right now we're seeing it. Do we actually think that at the foot of the cross, with the blood dripping on our heads, Jesus, with the most empathetic and powerfully sensitive eyes humanity has ever seen, looking right at us, do we actually think that at the foot of the cross we would get out our phone, get on social media, and attack the very bride 
Jesus is dying for in that moment. You can't convince me that's what anyone would do. I, I believe better in people than that. Only self-righteousness does that kind of thing. What would your life look like living at the foot of the cross? First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Christ personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. He didn't talk about it. He embodied it. He took my sin into his body. He personally carried my sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. See, I think as the church, we remember the dead to sin part because that benefits us. We don't always remember and live for what is right. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to go back to that hill. Go back to that hill called Calvary. Walk up its path. Head towards the cross in the middle. Find your way through the sea of people, mocking, spitting, spewing venom. And just find a place at the foot of the cross. Yeah, I figured you would bow down in this moment. I see you right there on bended knee, looking up into his eyes. And I want you to hear what his actions communicated. I know he didn't say this. I'm not adding anything to scripture. This is theology. I want you to hear what his actions communicated to you on the cross. And I want to give words to that theology. Jesus looking down at you, you looking up at him. And Jesus says, I'm here because of you. It is your sin I am personally bearing. Every single one of them. It is your curse that I am suffering. It is your debt that I am eternally paying. And it is your death I am dying. And then as though he went from looking at you to looking toward heaven, the Son of God said, It is finished. This is a forever work. It is finished. Jesus, would you lead your bride back to the cross? 
would you lead me back to the cross? May I live, may we live every day of our lives at the foot of your cross. May the world be turned upside down at the foot of your cross. And as we sing this last song, let's worship like we were at the foot of his cross.
closed. I want to speak to one type of person. If you don't know Jesus personally, whether you're in this room or joining us online, and you'd say, I want in on some of this action. I don't want to carry all of my baggage. I don't want to have to be defined by my worst moments. I would like to swap my worst for Christ's perfect best. And I want to spend forever with a God who isn't screaming at me through his son on the cross. I want to spend forever with a God who wants to spend forever with me. So he sent his son to the cross. So if you want in on that, you can get in on it. You can give your life to Jesus and swap your worst for his perfect best. Whether you're in this room or watching online, if you'd say, I want to give my life to Jesus, I'm done living this way. Just put your hand up. It's right where you are. Just put it up. Just put it up high. Right there. Your living room, your kitchen, the car. Drive with your left hand. Pop your right hand up. Come on. You know you're feeling the Holy Spirit moving that car. Go ahead. Let's go. Now's the time. If you want to know why we're still meeting as a church, you're the reason. It's for this moment right here. And every angel in heaven is peering over the balcony of heaven with bated breath to see what you'll do. Come on. I'm done living this way. I'm going all in for Jesus. I'm doing it right now. Just pop your hand up. You can put it right back down. I love it. I love it. If you just put your hand up, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm done living like this. I believe you're the son of God. And I believe you came to die on the cross for my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead on the third day. God, will you forgive me of my sins? Will you put my sins on your son? And when you swap it for his righteousness, God, I want to spend forever with you. Now I receive what you did through your son on the cross that day so I can spend forever with you. God, you can have all of me. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 That never gets old to me. Never. This is so great. I just want to say, if you prayed that prayer with me, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, if you just do me a favor, text the name Jesus to the number 24587. Really simple. We're not going to bombard you with a bunch of stuff. If you don't have a Bible, we want to send you one. If you, if you need some resources, any supplemental help, 
If there's any ministry needs that you have, we just want to help you get started on a, on a good path in this walk with Christ. You just made the best decision you will ever make in your life, and all of heaven is roaring right now because of the decision you just made. You get to spend forever with the God of the universe once you let go of this earthly tent. Incredible, incredible thing that just happened. I want to pray a blessing over you, those of you here and watching online, and we'll be dismissed. God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. <laughs> thank you for wanting to spend forever with us. God, would you lead your church? Would you lead the whole earth to the foot of the cross? It's the only thing that works the blood of Jesus and everything that happened at the cross and because of the cross. God, may we all live at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And may the world be turned upside down at the feet of Jesus. God, would you bless every person here and every, every person joining online. Chase them down everywhere they go this week. May they sense the presence the spirit of the living God everywhere they go and everything that they do. In Christ's mighty name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.